When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark. Today, we speak with Frederick Soroya of Datarock. He's had quite the career. Datarock blew up when their song Fa 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 was everywhere in 2005. It was in commercials, video games, TV shows, and I'm sure some other synchronizations that Frederick has forgotten about. That led to the band playing over a thousand shows in 36 countries. But it all actually kind of snuck up on them. Take the first festival they played in Australia. They thought they were going to be on some little side stage next to the toilets. Turns out they were on the main stage supporting James Brown. That success has allowed Frederick to do some amazing things. He performed Datarock the musical with a full symphony orchestra, but they only had one day of rehearsal. It's an amazing story. He's also released an album called The Rona Diaries, where he plays with the Bit 20 string ensemble, again with very little preparation. This one is hilarious, and Frederick and I laugh our way through the entire thing. So follow Frederick and Datarock on social media. You can get the links at datarockmusic.com. Buy The Rona Diaries on Bandcamp or wherever you get music nowadays. Follow us at Performance Annex on social media. And support the show with a rating or review with a one-time coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety or with merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. And so stretch your faces so you don't hurt yourself laughing with Frederick Soroya of Datarock, Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Relax. Sit down in a comfortable chair or lay down on your bed. Feel the weight of your body. Feel the weight of your feet. Feel the weight of your depressed thoughts. And we will lift them out of you through the next probably two hours of conversation with me, uh, Frederick Soroya, singer of Datarock, now also a solo artist and a meditation coach. At the end of it, you will be so rested and reinvigorated that in nine months, you will give birth to a multitude of babies. If you're close to a reproductive partner. Okay, so <laughs> you're listening to Performance Anxiety. My name is Frederick Soroya. I'm sitting in Norway. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's enjoy this together. Feel the weight. <laughs> it needs some meditation music. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Is it eight in the morning? Yes, it is. And you're doing the interview at eight in the morning. I'm impressed. <laughs> hey, I do what I can for my international guests. Thank you. <laughs> my, That's well, thank, awesome. Thank you for, for doing this. This is wonderful. Well, thank you for doing it. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Where are you? You look like an office. Yeah. I, you know what? Uh, for whatever reason, I thought it was at four o'clock. So I'm uh, <clears throat> at two o'clock. I was supposed to see my daughter dance at the 
the day of dance, which I guess is an international thing. Okay. So I went down to the office because I do have a day job at a design company. Oh, cool. But this gives me the opportunity of showing you a little bit of town. Oh. So this is Bergen. Oh, wow. Can you see that thing right there? In the center? That little... Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually a sculpture made by Magnifur Holman, the key, keyboard player of AHA. Oh, really? The guy who came up with that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so, I, so, uh, so I work at a design company called the Forum. Okay. Uh, and this is where we're at. So. Oh. Yeah. But uh, behind that wall, I once saw a, a long interview with Morten Hochget. Because a friend of mine wrote a book about Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And he's supposed to be like uh, a pretty strange. Oh, yeah. But he did. <laughs> to put it mildly. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, there, are so, there are so many stories. And, and, and I mean, they're all so outworldly. You can't believe it. It's so many bizarre stories about him. Oh, he looks gosh. so proper and, he's, you know, he's a, he's a very handsome man and all of that. But. Supposedly, he's like, he's a particularly weird person. Mm. But, but he was such a charming, nice guy at that two-hour talk. So <laughs> so anyways, I went home and I, I started listening to all the aha stuff again. And um, I remember a couple of months ago, I actually went to the 50 Best Restaurants Award in Antwerp in Belgium. Oh, nice. And I was listening to, uh, yeah, and I was, I, I re-listened to that album they did, um, Oh, God damn. Now I have to look up which album it was. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah. Uh, give me a second. Ba, 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 ba. Take your time. Take your time. All right. Okay. So I had I had to re-listen to, I guess, a lot of it. But yeah, Scoundrel, uh, scoundrel Days. Okay. And uh, and I happened to have the number of Magnifier Holman, the keyboard player. And I, so I texted him like, Oh, I'm sitting here on the train to Antwerp and I'm listening to uh, Scoundrel Days. It's so amazing. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. And he very politely replied. So we had a little back and forth SMS communication. Okay. That's very nice. So, yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Revisit the Aha, uh-huh, guys. I will. I'm going to have to because I, I really don't know much besides Take On Me, to be honest with you. No, no, it's interesting. When you hear something like Scoundrel Days, you even hear like, like drum solos, like elaborate, long, very energetic drum solos. Oh wow! Like they even have like like end parts of songs which are just straight up drum solos. It, it, it's it's all very yeah, surprising stuff that you don't remember from from when hearing it when it was released originally, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I I guess that's what every all the music we listened to when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. Revisiting it sounds a little bit different for sure. Yeah. All right, so the first question I have for you is, how do I pronounce your last name? It's actually pronounced Soroya. Soroya. Which is kind of weird because it's not spelled Soroya. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is uh, it is actually pronounced Soroya. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, Norwegian last names are a little tough. I, I'm part Norwegian. My great-grandparents emigrated from Norway. Do you, oh, really? Do you know from where? From Tonsberg. Oh, really? Yeah. Last oh, name, wow. Okay. Last names were Fredericks and Torbjornsson. That's very, very common Norwegian names. Okay. You, 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 you being a music nerd, I mean, you know, Tunsberg is like, that's a, that's a music city. Is like, it? really? Yeah. No, I... Like, they, 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 they used to have one of the two most important festivals in Norway, like forever. And then they oh, wow. shut it down years ago. And now it's up again. And it's called Slottsfjall. Okay. And if you if you've ever looked at pictures from Tunsberg, you can see that on top of the 
of the town, there is uh, basically a fortress. Oh. And that's where the festival is. It's, it's amazing. So if you ever want to visit uh, your Norwegian home turf. I do. Go to Slottsfjell. It's it's a, it's super nice. Oh, it's I'll super to nice. Check it out definitely. That's one of the. Dreams. It has a harbor. It has everything you need. Yeah. That sounds like my because my uh, great great grandfather on my uh, my so it's my grandmother's parents. He was a uh, a whaler, and then when they oh, yeah. moved to uh, they moved to Brooklyn, New York, and he became a tugboat yeah. captain. Yeah, I mean that area with Tunsberg is is old school whaling, right? And. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't, I, I don't know much about whaling. To me, it just seems terribly awful, you know. <laughs> but the, but and like one of the guys in that area, he came up with this harpoon with explosives in it. Oh my god! <laughs> I know that I seems know. counterproductive. Like, yeah, well, no, because uh, it doesn't injure the substantial part of it, which actually wasn't the meat, but the fat and. And uh, I, I recently got to know this, but uh, a substantial part of the Norwegian whaling was actually producing oil for the 1,800 lamps in the streets of London. So how you lit the streets in the old days before electricity was with oil, and it was right. whaling oil. <clears throat> and you can imagine a city like London, even, even in the late 1800s, they would need a lot of light in the streets, not project yeah. the ripper to kill you, you know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the, and the whole city was lit with, uh, well, partly Norwegian whaling wow. fat oil. Look at that. You learn everything. Some, you, you learn something every day. I, I do. I've learned two things. Now. Well, three things. How to pronounce your last name. That my great-grandparents' hometown has an awesome music festival. And... Yeah, it does. Norway. Yeah, I got enough. Okay, you, you want some more trivia? You, you want even more trivia? Yeah. Let's go for more trivia. Okay, so I'm in a city called Bergen, Norway, yeah. right? And a few hours south of Bergen, there is a tiny little place that you'll never hear about ever again, which is called Jurvik. And it's such a small town that it's, you know, completely random that I even yeah. know about the place. Okay. Anyways, that's the etym etymological origin of the, of the name York. So New York City is named after a tiny little place that nobody even knows about wow. or cares about, south of Bergen. I, I, I don't know anyone who's ever been there, but it named the <laughs> <a> Big Apple. <laughs> that is amazing. Isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about, it's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, 
you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performance anxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. So growing up in Norway, was, was music a big part of your life? What, what, yeah. what was influencing? What were you listening to? I'm always really curious for overseas yeah. guests. You know, mm-hmm. what, I know what a lot of people who grew up in America listen to, but what, did, what were you listening to? Same stuff? I, I, mean, I mean, I'm born in 76, right? So mm-hmm. we didn't exactly have the internet. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and music on computers. I remember my first computer was called the Sharp Amstead 700 before the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah. And music on a computer was really just like, beep, 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 beep. it was like the melody and aha's take on me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 i mean we depended on the radio you know yeah and and buying music was shit expensive so i mean most of the music i personally had available like the kind of music i wanted to listen to was on cassettes like we would copy uh cassettes we actually copied cassettes from each other because we had cassette players with two cassette players in one and yeah. then you know what i mean oh yeah I, i'm, I'm 73 i know exactly what you mean okay 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 <laughs> No, and the same thing with like if if anybody bought a bought a vinyl, they would listen to it, and then when, not when they were done, but when they had a thorough listen, then you could perhaps borrow it, which was kind of scary to lend away your vinyl because they could injure it, you know. Exactly. That's why I never did it. No, no, he said, and I still know about twelve inches that I never got back from some asshole. I I, I, you, I, I borrowed it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still upset. I I would tell me if you want it, give me a cassette and I'll record it and give it back to you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but then but then that sometimes screwed up shit, right? Because sometimes the tempo in one cassette player was different to yours. Yeah. So I remember sometimes we would bring together the cassette players. And we'll start the the album at the same time and see how far it went because it started to slip uh, slip away from wow, each other. You guys you know? got deep. No, but we even like our very first Data Rock show. We actually did that did that on stage. We brought three <laughs> cassette players on stage, and we just pressed play and saw what happened. Oh wow! <laughs> but <laughs> it's even but more true. No, okay, so <laughs> but you know when we were kids, like uh, I mean MTV was. It came around pretty early. It was eighty one or something like that? I don't yeah, know. Pretty early, yeah. but it, but in the beginning, I, I mean, what was the guy who started the eighty year old billionaire uh, person? And and like I, I don't know when I heard about them to be the first time. It was surely it wasn't in eighty one. It must have been late eighties. I, I I don't think I don't remember MTV until after like Bon Jovi and stuff like that. It must be in like eighty eight okay, or something. Yeah. I don't know. Mid to late eighties. But uh, yeah. but. Yeah, so 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 the kind of the kind of music we grew up with was like involuntarily we listened to all sort of crap on the radio, right? Okay. And uh, but I'm talking about childhood. Yeah, mostly, yeah. Right. But my parents were like fairly interested in music, so like my my mother played the trumpet, and she actually had perfect pitch by some reason. Oh, so, wow. So she was which she was obviously very proud of. So so she cared a lot about her interest of music. She she still goes to shows a couple of times a week oh, that's even awesome. though she's like 72 yeah yeah uh, but um i remember i remember when the first music i i really really like i mean i must have heard all sorts of stuff obviously including norwegian folk music and all of that mm-hmm. but the f- very first music i remember was simon and garfunkel oh interesting yeah and simon and garfunkel is really you know you know a, a duo like kings of convenience mm-hmm. 
they're friends of mine from from town. He actually oh, lives cool. a two minutes walk from where I'm sitting. Oh, nice. Eric yeah. The other one, Arlan, he moved to uh, Sicily years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. But uh, but anyway, so, I mean, there's a reason why those guys sound a little bit like Simon and Garfunkel. Because my generation, we we grew up on Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. And Le- Le- Leonard Cohen and that sort of stuff, right? And, right? and of course, we heard our parents, of course, they were still listening a little bit to Beatles. But they were still young when we were children, right? So they still picked up new music, like like uh, like even even mid eighties Leonard Cohen, not just old, Leonard right? Cohen, okay, right? You know, and um, but um, yeah, and also my father was a singer, so so he or he as a hobby at least, so so I was surrounded with, by all sorts of music, I guess. But uh, but anyway, so that's now we're talking childhood. But then in our our, our early teens. When we got MTV, I mean, we were so young when we started listening to or seeing music videos and stuff on MTV. So then you're sort of uh, sustainable to to all kinds of crap, yeah. right? But then, but but then we discovered Headbangers Ball. Yes, you know, Ricky Rackman. And that was really, yeah, and th- that was the start of of you know you know severely caring about music for me. Okay, that that, that was Headbangers Ball. I remember the first interview I saw with Sepultura, and I was just sold. You know. So you see Sepultura, and and I, I remember Igor is so sweaty because he, he had just played a show in, in in London, and then they end the interview by him saying he took he, he took his soaking wet sweaty tennis sock that he had played drums with, right? Puts it in, in his mouth and then says "Die hard." And I, okay, and that was it. I'm I'm all about thrash metal. <laughs> so yeah, so oh. I was like. And I was like, and also the interviews like Metallica, Anthrax, Creator, Nuclear Assault, uh, Slayer, everybody, like, like the kind of personality they displayed was just like, they're so dumb. They're like us. Yeah. Like these are our people, you know? <laughs> so, 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 so me and my friends, we were all, you know, skateboarding, walking around the same kind of clothes like Sepultura, because, you know, Vision Streetwear is actually a Brazilian clothing brand. So, mm-hmm. so we're like very much into like, their their way of dressing, the kind of hairdo, their the the patches they would have from old bands, oh, you know. Yeah. Yep. And, and yeah, so for me it was thrash metal. But then I mean, when you when you're that age, uh, and everybody around me was like, you know, really music nerds. Like like when we were kids, like even at a very young age, we started listening to John Sorn and stuff like that. <laughs> and I'm talking like 12 years old. Oh, okay. So so when we were like 12 years old, we we were really into like all sorts of oddities like rugga you know oh. reggae was so mainstream so we would be more interested in like weird new electronic versions of that kind of stuff like rugga like shinehead or stuff like that oh, okay yeah and on the other side we were very interested in like swans and diamanda galas oh, and, yeah. and that kind of crap so we were like we were children and we're listening to these super serious artists that's insane and we would like and like like on end we would listen to I mean, you shouldn't, I think, when you're 12, but we listened to everything The Fall ever did. Oh, wow. You know? I mean, imagine being 12, 13 years old and, 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 uh, and, uh, and that kind of personalities <laughs> sipping into your soul. <laughs> Man. <laughs> but anyways, but then I had my own radio show when I was about 12, and I, I actually <laughs> named it after a digital underground single called do what you like okay yeah which makes sense because that's really funny when you're that age and the video and the nose and everything was very funny yeah 
but then in every every episode of my show, I would I had I, I actually had a co-host, and I was I remember I was thirteen, he was thirty-one, and I, <laughs> I still to this day don't I don't understand how his wife let him, but he had a record collection because he bought like ten vinyl albums every week. Wow! And me and my friends, we got to borrow them as soon as he had heard it, and he had a record collection of something like seven thousand. Wow. Records, and, and, and because the guy was such a such a music nerd, he obviously also had better tapes and DVD. No, not DVDs, laser discs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, VHS, blah blah blah. So even before MTV, I saw all the videos by Devo, and uh, I saw like live at Pompeii, live in Orange, Ooh. on, on laser disc. Because oh. we didn't have a laser disc player, but but he had one at work that I borrowed. So so my 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 neighbor was the internet. Right? That's crazy, so, and it's really funny because, like, his son grew up to become um, a collaborator of artists like you know Aurora from Norway. Yes, Aurora, you know. So his son grew up to be a producer a very, a, a, and a successful one. Wow! But but having that guy as a neighbor was, I mean, that's the. For instance, I was I went to Los Angeles a couple of months ago. Okay, and I stayed at Jerry Casales' place for a week. Oh wow! And the only reason why I even knew about Jerry. Or Devo was because of my my neighbor with that insane record and film collection, and he even even told me that if I had seen that better tape, which I had uh, of uh, Devo videos, I must have been one of like a couple of hundreds because because he remember ordering those better tapes. They didn't make anyone, and one of them ended up in my in my neighboring house. That's and that's wow. why I ended up creating Data Rock because of Devo. Right. Okay. So thanks to that one goddamn de- better tape, <laughs> I ended up playing in 36 countries. Thank you so much, their neighbor. Man, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And, and anyways, and uh, just to wrap it up, and, and with my radio show, like every week we would feature a new release by Bad Brains or you know Living Color or something like that. Oh and, yeah. But but then also, you know, Detroit techno or or hip hop or whatever was interesting at the time right okay. but the first time i felt that this was mine this is this is brand new this is so new and i knew that nobody around me had ever heard it before was stone roses happy mondays charlatans ride and spiral carpets and all of that new british music right yeah. which kind of merged new electronic music and guitar rock mm-hmm. and you know that's what data rock has done since we started 20 years ago right but but that i remember that year when i was 12 in 1988 when i when i heard all of that stuff and the the graphic design and the production and and i didn't know i, I didn't understand any like drug aspect of that scene right because right. i was so young yeah so i didn't understand the lyrics i guess but i didn't give a fuck because it was uh, etheric and soulful and you know spiritual and really cool and all the musicians were so groovy and and technically skilled, even though they were like pretty bizarre people, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard anything that sort of captured me the same way as I, I think a lot of people experience the same thing, right? The music that you really get into when you're around twelve, if you get into something like really mm-hmm. that sticks with you forever. So yeah. if I had to name my favorite band, I would I would have to say the Stone Roses just because oh. of that, you know. That I, I'm a huge Stone Roses fan. I actually love Second Coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I love. I know yeah. that one gets slagged a lot. But I love. No, that yeah, one. I mean, t- like, 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 you would be insane not to agree that Ten Story Love Song is amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, and the, yeah. Uh, Driving South. I mean, the the John Squire's guitar in on that throughout that whole yeah, album yeah. is just unbelievable. 
No, I know, I know. And it's it's so, it's, I, I don't know exactly what happened to the band that, around them, but I mean, they didn't, of course, they didn't have the same momentum, right? And they had so many personal difficulties and all of that. And, and there's such a They gap. didn't have the same kind of, they didn't have the same kind of support with enemy and all of that, right? And they didn't right. splash paint everywhere. Yeah. So, so they, they did, they, they didn't get the same love at all, no. right? And also, when they started up, they were so young, right? But then by the time Second Coming came, they were already like majorly successful. And then you don't, you don't get the same kind of support, right? And the sound was a little But anyways, I, I agree with you. I, I totally agree. I, I, I remember when it came out because so many of my friends didn't appreciate like the bluesy aspect of it, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I agree with you. It's, it's really, really good. So you, you were into thrash at first. How did, or I guess, I guess my question is, is more, when did you start playing music? Were you playing instruments? Um, I believe I heard you uh, learned cello. Yeah, that's really cool when you were 11. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <it's> right. <laughs> Everybody wants to play yeah, cello yeah. at 11. But yeah, no. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, when I grew up, we had a, you know, we had a female prime minister. It was very okay to talk about feelings. It was like, not uh, like as if I, I felt uh, dumb for playing the cello. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was beautiful, and I thought oh, yeah. cello music was amazing and all of that. But I just didn't get the hang of it. And also, I, I never really got the I still to this day don't have a good grip on notes or, or noted music okay. right so um and, for, and to me like the whole music thing is supposed to be some shamanesque uh, intuitive thing kind of okay so so for me uh and also I thought it was so dull to be in those goddamn music schools <laughs> you know and 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 the te the teacher was probably very nice she was she was so proper and quiet and, and sitting there was like almost like a therapy session or something like that. Oh, wow. But not for me. It would rather be for her. I would oh, say. my God. But the, but, <laughs> sounds but dreadful. The, no, but it, it was also goddamn boring, right? But then but then my big brother started playing uh, electric guitar. And at the time, the first thing you would learn to play was uh, Holy Diver or something like that, Ooh. right? And, and then if you, if you listen to old older music it would be sabbath riffs or stuff like that yeah, you know so, purple yeah but the purple is perhaps a little bit harder but some of the some of the uh, black sabbath riffs and and especially the the thrash metal riffs are so easy you just play it like this right you just use these two fingers and it's really about the the right hand movement right mm -hmm. about 12 you start using right hand you know how to to use the hand. Yeah, exactly. And you have to cut that out of the interview, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you, it's, it's, you know, thrash metal is, is very, you know, is adapt the, the correct word. I don't know. It, it's easier for a tiny hand to do that because it's really just about the, the, the pick, the right? Pick, yeah. And what you do with that hand is so simple. And anyways, and also the sound that you wanted to emulate was pretty you know, nasty ass sound. Yeah. It was tube screamers and a Marshall amp. And really it, aggressive. It, it was just to, yeah, and it, but but it was only, only supposed to say zzz, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But if you want to play jazz, it's really how you're supposed to play phrasing and how uh, John Schofield or whatever sounds, that's really, the only way you can make that sound is to have a guitar that costs thousands of dollars, yeah. expensive amplifiers, blah, blah, blah. It's so... Um, 
how to put it it's so uh detailed and nuanced and okay, all of that yeah. whereas yeah. thrash metal is just you just chop away it's like percussive guitar playing you know right right it's not nearly as complex as that stuff no and in, in, in a rehe- even in a rehearsal space you can kind of almost make it sound it, it sounds a little bit like you know old recordings of thrash metal because it, it's supposed to be ugly kind of yeah you know so so very quickly we it's almost like skateboarding. I mean, even even if you never come to the level of a pro skater, you you pick up some tricks, and the boys say, "Yeah, you learned how to do a whatever shitty little trick, right?" And yeah. You you get the dopamine boost, and everybody goes, "Yeah, let's go for French fries, you made it," or you know, yeah. and, and, and that's I think that's what the whole thrash metal scene and punk rock is all about. Like you you get all of these small little wins, right? You learn how to to do some for instance, you, you discover you, you don't have to just do like straight up metrics, but then you go, and then you get math rock, but okay. Right. But you, you learn, you know, and it's always oh, a big difference. I, I went, you know, right. And then. <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran-owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet and help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. But then anyways, and then and then because because I was so I was such a nerd, right? I, I just practiced all the time. So so when I was about 15, Oh, when I was 13, I started playing in bands with people who went to music high schools. Oh, okay. So even when I was 13, I played like a nor- I played a normal show in the classic rock venue in Bergen called Garage, where the black metal comes from in Bergen. Right. And that was a normal paid show, you know, when we're 13. So, so and so you get you get a lot of it becomes your identity. That's what you do. You do music, right? Because yeah. that's how you meet new new people. Perhaps that's how you meet meet girls, and you know, yeah. that's how you dress. Where that's where where you hang out, and that defines who you don't like. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then, uh, and because of that, I, I went, I, I got my ass into a music high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and in music high school, I actually met the saxophone player in Daderock, and and I mean that guy has ended up touring with Pat Metheny and Chikoria and stuff like wow. that. You know. Yeah. So so music high school. You know, it's this is ridiculous, but I'm just gonna say it. It was a little bit like that film Fame. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, because because everybody came from everywhere. It, 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 you know, normally in high school, you you just you you're in class with the same guys who went in class with in junior high. And, yeah. But I come from an island outside of Bergen. Okay. Right. So when I went to music high school, 
I came from that place and pretty much everybody in my class came from all over the place. And quite a few of them actually lived on their own because their parents lived so far away. Oh, wow. So we were all about music. It was all about music, right? It was that's all. In, in addition to the normal subjects, we had 11 music subjects. Oh, my God. And we would even go and have concerts in Finland and Latvia and Sweden and all of Norway and it was very serious. Wow. And like, like the guy who, who, who did my guitar exams, he was on the front cover of Guitar Player, you know? Really? So, yeah. So it was like it was like a tiny, 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 little, tiny, tiny, tiny version of what you would imagine going to something like Berkeley Academy of Music or something like that would be. Okay. But to me, that just became too much. So I stopped doing music. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I, I really loved it. And I, I loved it so much. Like, I would stay at school after closing hours just because they had a music archive and like wow. we you won't believe it we we, we were nerds man <laughs> and then and then <laughs> but then i was like oh it's too much like okay so i just i stopped doing music and i i i started studying at the university and then but then when you're a student that's really that's i mean that's unless you take your stu subjects very seriously which you, I guess you should, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> Me either. No, right. But th those years, years at, at uni is just so much fun, right? Because let's be honest, you drink and you party, you go to shows, you yeah. just hang out yeah. and you have fun, right? And then, and that's that's how music became fun for me. Uh, up ever since I was like twelve till I till I, well till I, I'm I'm gonna grab some coffee. Yeah, yeah. What you gotta do? Uh, <laughs> No, up until up until we started Data Rock, I, th I think. Uh, fuck! It's empty. Damn! Oh. <laughs> fuck! What am I gonna do? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pour out the, the whatever is left in here. It must be something. I think what I'm displaying now is that I'm completely addicted to coffee. Oh, I know the feeling, man. Oh fuck! Someone put water in it. Fuck you. Okay. Well, anyways, that's me without coffee. <laughs> Very upset now. <laughs> Shit. Okay, fuck it. Anyways, and then uh, so so by the time we started Data Rock, I just said I don't want to. I don't want to write songs. I don't want to sing. I just want to play the drums, which I, by the way, do very badly. <laughs> but but then and and this is the fun part of it because we were like what you re referred to back in the days as slackers. Oh yeah, because we didn't give a fuck about anything like. I'm exaggerating, obviously, because because we did perfectly fine. Uh, our grades are totally fine, which is easy when you if you choose the correct subject, you don't really have to learn to learn too much to to make it okay, as right. you know, right? Yeah, if it's something you're really but, passionate but, about, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but none of us worked. We lived in like the shittiest, most inexpensive apartments, and yeah, we, you, you know it. We, and when you like that, you never think that you're ever going to grow up and you don't know that one day you're going to have children and get old. So, yeah. you know, like Slack is not giving a fuck in the. This is actually where I had my first show right there. Oh, across, wow. Across the street. That's where Dato played our first show. Oh, my God. Never thought about that. <laughs> but anyways, and then and then we started Dato because out of the blue, out from this very serious city, Bergen, suddenly you got this really interesting new scene. Because some, you know, people with like electronic music talents moved to Bergen. Okay. And that's particularly the guys in the band Reichsop. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Reichsop. Because they're from Tromsø, which is uh, as far north of Bergen as Rome is south. So, because oh, wow. Norway is such a, yeah, it's like a ridiculously long country. So they're from, 
<laughs> you know, almost as far north as Russia, you know. Wow. But but anyway, so 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 they moved to Bergen and they were like they were ridiculously knowledgeable and skillful when it came to electronic music production. So okay. so so mind you, if you ever hear Rake's up, even like the very early stuff, they never went to any studio to get any help. They did all everything themselves. And if you if you read about KLF or whatever, mm-hmm. most electronic successful acts get so much ghost help. Like uh, so many of the of the artists we know about, they don't they don't know half of what you need to know to to make those productions, right? But these but these kids, they they did everything themselves. They they produced everything, programmed everything. I think they even mastered it actually. Oh my but gosh. so so out of the blue you have this this really interesting new electronic scene in Bergen, which was playful and, you know, kind of no adults allowed. Yeah. So, it, so it, it reminded us an awful lot about kind of how thrash metal, how we perceive thrash metal, you know, it was just fun and yeah. not too serious. And, uh, and nobody, nobody had any like, uh, you know, commercial aspirations. It was just about not exactly a shock effect, but it was more if you can do something nasty and get away with it, that's funny, you know? Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> so we, you know, ever since we started Data Rock, we were part of this very interesting scene where, for instance, uh, like people like Banksy came to, to town in like in 98 or 99 oh, wow. or whatever, and, and, and painted like tons of uh, original pieces that he just gave to, our, to, to my friends who are now, of course, multimillionaires because they sold the pieces, but okay, wow. different story. But, uh. but, uh, but we, we were like a very interesting town. So, so like uh, Dimitri from Paris, he came here and, and uh, Peaches and uh, Basement Jacks and well, pretty much every interesting act you can imagine. And at the same time, I, I started booking wow. this uh, art venue. So I would, I would book things like you know, Machtsbov. No, not Machtsbov. Did Machtsbov ever play my event? I don't remember. <laughs> I think it did. Anyways, so so we had like noise core and um, a very experimental scene, a, a kind of linked to this alternative club music scene. Okay. So and Data Rock fit kind of somewhere in the middle of a pretty fun alternative club scene, which wasn't mainstream whatsoever. Oh, okay. Like like no, normal people wouldn't go to our clubs. Like. You know, <laughs> but it was always jam packed. I live in a tiny little play city. It's three hundred and fifty thousand people here, but the kind of the kind of artist that I booked to the art venue was pretty pretty close to how Tarnik was booked in the early two thousands, right? Oh, okay. But our venue was bigger than Tarnik, and we would we could jam pack our place on a goddamn Sunday. Wow! Like a, a lot of these artists, they stayed at my place when they were in town. And like for instance, I remember the Japanese duo Ruins. They came to town, and and they sold. 350 tickets on a Sunday Jeez. in Bergen. So, so, so you had this like really interesting period of time where music wasn't about career or getting good at playing your goddamn guitar. Yeah. Or, or you know, it wasn't com- because when you take music very seriously in, in a like a high school kind of setting where like the trumpet players or whatever it is, they actually compete about about the very few available positions in an orchestra in yeah. five years. Oh right? yeah. yeah. So. So, so sometimes these, these people even use like, you know, weaponized uh, psychological tricks to 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 fuck up with their peers yeah. for them to do bad on exams and shit. Right? That doesn't apply to jazz, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but but anyways, that, that, it, 
It sounds as if I'm ex- uh, exaggerating, but we know we all know it's true. It's very competitive oh, in those I, years. Right? I believe. It. I mean, I I went to college for photography, and it was a similar yeah. thing. You know, there's there's only limited things. I mean, you know, unless you go out and freelance, you know, this. It, yeah. It wasn't this big open exchange of ideas like I thought it was going to be. It was just pure no, competition. I, I it is. But then, and that's exactly what we found in this scene was was no competition, and nobody knew there was any. Thing to gain from any winning any competition because it was, all, it was all fun and games. Okay. So I have to say, like the first time anything remotely commercial happened to Data Rock, that was actually from nothing straight into Coca Cola ad. Yeah, I was looking at that. You know? I mean, the what what it's happened, crazy. you guys, was insane. It, no, it, I know, and, but none of that shit could. None of us could have anticipated anything like that because oh, I, it was. Yeah. We built that whole idea on being 12 years old and finding talking heads and Devo interesting, you know, right. And nobody, nobody cared about that kind of stuff in 2005, you know? Yeah. No. So that's, that's kind of how I came back into music because m- music became so much just fun and games and a way to travel. And, you know, uh, uh, first time we came to New York city, we played knitting factory in 2003 or whatever oh, it awesome. was. And, uh, and on the same first trip to, to the U S we played, uh, we played Montreal on the way, and that was that was a place. Actually, I think it was owned by, or what the hell is their name? Wait a minute, their name. Uh, who, the, uh, this band from Montreal that everybody loves. Their name is. Uh, oh fuck! The name is kind of like it's as long as as and you will know was by the Trail of Dead. What the fuck is their name? Uh, let me see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can look it up here. Because they were, they had that venue, they also had a record store. What the hell is their name? Uh, let's see, bands from Montreal. There's my Black Pe- Emperor. Yeah, God's yeah, Black, Black Emperor, Emperor. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, what the hell am I trying to say here? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So everywhere we went, we went, we we met people so alike us, right? And 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 we played Knitting Factory in Chicago. We actually were picked up by with Tom Windish and his booking agency. He now books Billie Eilish. Wow. But at the time, he he, he he booked techno, right? Okay. So it was just a way to, you, you know, we I mean, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any cash at all. So playing in a band was just a great way of being able to travel a little bit, right? And it was yeah. super nice to play and to stay at the sofa of some guy in Helsinki or in Zurich, Switzerland, whatever. <laughs> and you go through his record place and, oh, you like that too? Oh, I like that too. And blah, 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 you know, yeah. super cozy. But then, obviously, as you know, eventually Derek became a little bit of um, of a, <laughs> a phenomenon, enterprise. <laughs> I was looking this up because I didn't realize the extent of how things blew up. I mean, so That's crazy. Fa 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 was so you said the Coca Cola advertising campaign. It was in Ace Venture. It was Junior Pet Detective yeah. NHL. Yeah. 08, FIFA 08, NBA Live 08, Sims 2. You had new song was in Madden 08. 
Yeah. I used to dance with my daddy in UEFA Euro 2008 and Need for Speed yeah. Pro Street. Yeah. True Stories yeah. in FIFA 09. Um, yeah. Give it up in FIFA 10. <laughs> Apple advertisements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, it, it's, it, it ended up in TV shows. I mean, dance, Amarillion. Uh, Fafafa Fa was, yeah, was in Workaholics. It just goes on and on. Yeah. It's just... It's unbelievable it how yeah it, yeah some of them were pretty cool like workaholics that that's a cool thing yeah <laughs> I'm really in, 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 in a really fun scene in in Chuck. scene <laughs> yeah no, but the chuck but versus the, nacho the, sampler but the reality is that that kind of music because we we were basically a so-called myspace band you know so so we were an online band so we were the kind of bands that came about in a period of time where music was in chaos yeah so we kind of we competed against fucking u2 or whatever we're kind oh, of on the God. same level because they didn't know how to work the net right right that's yeah. why they kind of forced their albums on the iPads, when you bought a new one, it was YouTube was already there, and right? You couldn't get rid of it. No, you can get rid of it. But that's that's also how they kind of, um, this is probably not nice to say, but kind of forced themselves into a modern day and age, right? Oh, they, yeah. Because the, the, the old school kind of um, heavyweight uh, music industry didn't really, their tricks didn't apply anymore. It didn't work anymore, right? Right. So so we we I, I'm not exaggerating for a second. We did a thousand shows in 36 countries. That's that's awesome. really what we did. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah, but 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 my point just being like when you do that, it's also goddamn expensive, right? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you an example. You 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 know those bonus agreements that certain airline companies have, like they have a a, a the kind of collaboration. Yeah mileage things right yeah, yeah. and and we always had to go for the most affordable tickets so you couldn't you couldn't choose the kind of flight that would fit into a setup like that you would just choose whatever is the least Take expensive you can flight, afford yeah right? yeah and even though we flew with whatever was most affordable i ended up having a platinum card <laughs> with flying blue right <laughs> and and, <laughs> and i didn't even try it just happened wow right? And, and, and so I had, of course, like similar situations with other alliances. But and I, I once met the sales uh, boss of uh, Air France, KLM, and she she just started laughing when I told her she had never heard about. It. She, I, I told her, without trying, I got a platinum card based on only economy flights, and she said, "It's never happened before." <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we. we <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And and mind you, the funniest part of it is that we were so fucking sick of flying. We never used those bonus points for oh. anything but upgrades, you know? Well, they, well it's but, easy for something. <laughs> yeah, my wife came to the U.S. once and we upgraded to first class on the way home. And nice. I didn't even see a difference in the mileage points. Oh, my like, God. It was crazy. Yeah, so we flew so much. You can, you can, so put it this way, like even even when you when you play that many shows. And I, I mean, we played Lollapalooza and Reading in Leeds and Coachella and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But these were the alternative days before music 
kind of turned around and started making making money again, right? So, mm. so the only the only like uh, real income we had was those synchronizations. You oh, know? Okay. And what and what we used it for was really to travel further away, and you know, uh, like for instance, the first place we, we had any success was Australia, and we were like, what? That's a lot what, of air why? miles right there going. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but I'll tell you, like, because we don't, we, I mean. What do I know about Australia? Right, Kylie Minogue in excess. I, I don't know. ACDC. I don't know anything. About, I, I, it's not as if I I ever had a dream of becoming big in Australia. Right. <laughs> you know? I don't think any. It's not anybody's dream, really. No, but, but 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 it happened, and also you don't get any effect, right? Like you, okay, so you become famous in Australia. Who's gonna tell you? Like right. you don't even know. Yeah. You know? And like you 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 still hang out in the same shitty pub, and you can barely afford three beers, and yeah. you know. But, but something happened in, in in Australia and we went there and we're like, someone booked us to a festival, a touring festival. And as I said, we were slackers. We never really paid much attention to anything. So we went there without a sound engineer, without a TM or a light engineer. Or, and, then, and, we, and, and we just, we, we found it practical to only travel with hand luggage. Oh. Right. And okay. so, so we, we came to this touring festival in Australia and it was, um, I mean, it, it had several stages, right? So we assumed we were going to play on a little, you know, the weird party tent in the corner that nobody cares about, right? right? Yeah. Uh, where people basically go to score drugs, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and <laughs> next, to, next to the bathrooms and stuff. Yeah. Next to the, or, or in the bathroom, yeah. right? And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> but then we realized that we were supporting James Brown on the main stage of a stadium tour. God. So, so shit like that happened. And, and then we just thought, what the fuck? That's ridiculous. That's really fun. I met him. Like we shared a backstage from, I don't know, eight shows or whatever it was. <laughs> That's insane. But, uh, but, no, it is. But but then we just thought, well, this is so absurd. Like, this is the definition of fuck you money. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, 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 so we so what we did with the with what we we made in Australia because I mean we were totally happy with being dirt poor because all our friends were, you know. Yeah. So what we did was just like, okay, so let's spend the money and try it for the UK. And then the first thing we did in the UK was a twenty-two day sold out tour with Enemy. Oh wow! And and out of the blue, we're suddenly associated to this new scene called new rave, and all the other bands were like twenty years old or eighteen years old, whatever they were. They were, and at the time we were like thirty, you know. <laughs> so, so so it was all bewildering. We didn't understand anything. So so anyways, so we found that also to be very interesting, weird, and funny, but we didn't take it very serious seriously. So again, we just said, let's try for America. So we took what we made in the UK and we tried for America and then wow. that kind of worked out. But, but the, the only, put it this way, the only surplus we ever made was a little bit from the, from, from the synchronizations, because for us, this was just an opportunity to live a little and experience the world, right? Yeah. Travel. And yeah. Yeah. But we would never have been able to make those videos and do those pretty costly ex uh, uh, recordings and all of that had it not been for the synchronizations right so that so the synchronizations what uh, i mean it was four fifa games and it, yeah. it all looks very Im Im impressive but uh hello uh, uh give me a second hey erigate bayati to you masitala but if i talk to us i get i should sit in ayala huma this is my friend and we knew each other since we were 12 years old or whatever he's oh, one of the guys i told you about oh wow <laughs> hello <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's a tiny town yeah. no but uh but but anyway so 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 what happened to data happened to so many and and uh 
unfortunately, most of the bands disappeared very quickly because um, uh, it was pretty unhealthy scene. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> I'd say. But, uh, but yeah, and we were like, uh, sometimes in interviews, we would actually, actually have to say stuff like, kind of worried about the kids of, in the UK because, you know, it's particularly unhealthy culture going on and we don't really want to promote that kind of culture. Right. Anyways, okay, you can you can also please erase that. That shows how boring I am. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> no. And then it was just it was just, it, it just went on and on and on. We thought that it was some kind of student hobby, but then we're still doing it. And right now we're yeah. we're finishing up a new album, which we're making kind of in collaboration with Steve Dubbed. Oh, cool. He's a five times Grammy award winning guy who worked with all the releases by Chemical Brothers. Wow, yeah. And then we're, we're also working with Mark Rankin in Los Angeles. And he's the producer who did Rolling in the Deep with Adele and, and that kind of stuff. But he's, wow. he, he also did Weezer, Kings, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Iggy Pop, all sorts of stuff. Oh, so, Queens. So we're kind of still at it. And that's. It's very nice because we're still just the same weird group of yeah. friends who are... <laughs> with, with a great sense of humor. I love the humor in the music. I mean, the, the songs... Are, Thank so you. You go back to like the early stuff. You know, Sex Me Up is hilarious. That makes me laugh. Computer Camp Love. I mean, these are great songs, but like back in 2009, you wrote a song about Molly Ringwald for crying out loud. I mean, yeah. <laughs> where the hell is she? I mean, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, That's one of my favorite things question. about Data Rock is, is the sense of humor. I mean, it's just, and you do some really unusual stuff. Like uh, you yeah. wrote a, a song, uh, Position of Love, which yeah. sounds a lot like a response to Girl You Want by Devo. And yeah. True Stories, which is made up of lyrics entirely of talking head songs, song titles. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. That's the stuff I love. That's amazing. Yeah. So creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th well, thank you so much. It's funny that you say that because Position of Love is, is actually the lyrics of uh, Girl You Want. She sees from somewhere that you just can't see Sitting in the top of a greenhouse tree Sends out an aroma of unrefined love It drips on down in a mist from above You're recalling every, everywhere you turn You know that you're, that you're headed for the pleasure burn The words you stop on the tip of your tongue She's the real it, Okay, I had to it's just a, it's just the lyrics of girl you want but I took out the girly one sentences. <laughs> See, that's, so okay. so it's really funny because I talked I talked to, to Mark and, and Jerry about it and, and they said, Well, go for it, that's really cool. But they have to say that if uh, Warner ever figures this this out, they will sue us. So <laughs> we should just write the, over the lyric rights and fifty percent of the royalties to them. And we're like, sure. Yeah. Because I don't think it's going to generate that much. So here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And it was so dumb. It was just, I, I had a hang up on the, on the number 69. So I, I really wanted the song to be all about the number 69 and the position of love. I don't know. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> so that was that. But I couldn't sing about 69. Right. You know? so, <laughs> 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 the position of that's really funny. No, but I mean, I, I always found it really interesting what people can get away with, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, like uh, what the hell is that Justin Timberlake song um, where he says, I'm going to get you naked by the end of this song? And like, oh. uh, it's, it, or even, you know, Prince sings, uh, Oh my God, here we go. Me and myself play my tambourine. Yeah. We know what tambourine you're playing. Oh, yeah. And then he goes, and then, oh, he doesn't want to talk about masturbation. So he goes, uh, hand. Da, 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 da. Uh, He wants to go, get inside her tambourine. Oh, yeah. And, she, and he gets away with it, you know? Yep. So so that was that, but then I just decided that's too much. I did get away with the night flight to Uranus, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny because nobody, it's like, it's never been commented that the intro of the entire song is Night Flight to Venus by Boney M. funny they have knife fight to venus and we have knife fight to uranus <laughs> you know which is like the first english joke we heard as children because that's what they say in you know in in uh, the et movie when the kids are going on the school bus right and i still remember the first time i saw that scene i i, I must have been like eight years old i don't know but i still remember when i saw it because it's so confusing because i didn't understand what they said and they said Cena Suprinus. And that's why I say in Computer Camp Love too. Cena Suprinus. Yeah. He says that to Elliot. Cena Suprinus. What the fuck does that mean, Cena Suprinus? And then and then he says, Your anus, get it? Your anus. <laughs> 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 but uh, uh, you know, certain jokes doesn't translate well. Like for instance, the whole thing with the tomato and the ketchup, which means catch up in English. Mm-hmm. In Norwegian, yeah, actually that we said that joke. But we said ketchup without the, you know, the <laughs> the meaning of the, ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, okay, co- come on, ketchup. We, that's not funny. You know, the joke doesn't translate <laughs> yeah. if well, you that, say ketchup. That's one of the things that I, I thought was really interesting was that there's so much humor in the band. And I wasn't sure if it was, I'm not sure if it translates from Norwegian to English or vice versa, because it, it's funny in English to me. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. But my parents spoke English when I was a child, and uh, okay, and I mean, like in Norway, nothing is dubbed, so so we never saw like in Germany and a lot of countries, children's TV and blah 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 is is dubbed, right? Mm-hmm. Like even you know, even Hasselhoff translates his pop songs to German in Germany, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like we once did a remix for Avril Lavigne, and then they said, "Oh, that's okay. No, you have to add the five alternative languages she sings the song in." You know, oh my but God. anyways, so we so when we were kids, we all the films and TV and obviously music, and we also read English, right? We we, we start reading English in school when in third grade, right? Oh, okay. So hopefully it's not too bad, but it, I I do know that it's a lot of like grammatical mistakes and shit. I don't give a fuck. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, no, no, but the humor is definitely there. But you know, that's what happened to to the solo stuff. Like by accident, you sort of in a perhaps slightly drunken state fall into a 
student band. And then 20 years later, you, you're like, wait a minute, I, I'm actually a musician. <laughs> 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 so when the whole Corona thing happened, Daedalus had already slowed down quite a bit. Yeah, right? I was going to ask um, about that. Well, that happens when you when you end up realizing that you don't only have children, you have teenage children, you know. Yeah, I got three of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite a few of us do. So yeah. it was just natural. And and uh, and most of the guys in the band uh, have, you know, uh, college degrees. And one of the guys even has a PhD, right? Oh, wow. So everybody was kind of busy in different things. And then we've kept it going. So even during COVID, we, we did play a few shows, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did a tour yes, last year of, what was it, 15 shows or so? Okay. So, so we, we have done a, a little bit. But then, because everything quieted down so much, uh, it was like, I re- it, it was, I, okay, I shouldn't probably say this out loud, but for, for me personally, I think... <laughs> For me, for me personally, I, I obviously suffered as anyone else, uh, not everyone, but someone else. Like, we didn't have basically any income for music anymore. Right. Because yeah. everything shut down, right? And yeah. We had spent quite a lot of money because we had the uh, 15-year anniversary of the debut album, you know? So, so for us, it was kind of devastating because um, not only did we lose income, but we, lo- we lost a lot of income that was supposed to cover expenses we already had. Ah, you know? okay. You know? Yeah. And then also in my, the, the sound, sound company I worked in, everybody, I don't know the English word, but per, it's called permission in Norwegian. Um, you're not laid off, but you kind of put on weight. Okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You're on a so, leave. Yeah. And, and first it was hundred percent and that was 50%. And anyway, so, I mean, it was, I guess it was tough on everyone. It, it was tough on me too, but more than anything, it was, a, it was very productive reset okay for me it was okay and and it, it, it was a brilliant opportunity to sort of and i know a lot of people had the same experience not a lot of people talk about it because it's really taboo because we know we know so many people who really really suffered yeah. hard so it's kind of taboo to talk about it but i know a lot of people came out out of these couple of years with you know getting rid of a lot of bad old habits and Right. New ideas and, and all of that. And, and, and anyways, that's what I try to do. Like, how, how can we made, make this slowed down, absurd period of time into yeah. something somewhat constructive, right? And, yeah. And I mean, I'm, uh, what do they say? Behind the mask, you know, all clowns cry or something like that, you know? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you don't start a band like that or because you're a, because you're, you're a happy-go-lucky schmuck, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you make you you make you, you make that kind of stuff because you're a negative fart face, right? right? So so uh, I mean, look at pretty much every comedian. Give him the opportunity, and you'll see how how nasty and and angry at the world he is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so I mean, so Daedalus. I mean, all of us, as I said, I mean, we we we've listened always listened to very serious music and. Really, pretty serious people, right? Mm-hmm. But then we we we've used data to have a little bit of fun before we you know become also old grumpy people. Right? We cannot, you know, yeah. <laughs> grumpy young people straight into grumpy old people is not a good thing. So, no. so <laughs> let's have a few years of fun, right? Exactly. And and uh, and with the last album we did, Face of Brutality, it was very natural for us to do a, a, a kind of a, a dark album. We had to for many many reasons, which we don't have to. Dwelve 
into. But okay. uh, yeah, we had we had to make an album which was a little bit dark, and then and that was not the right thing to do. It felt because Daydog was supposed to be our Prozac, you know. Okay. Yeah. And not only for us, because because we we've traveled the world, and I I've seen myself in the audience all over the world. You know, you see you see people who spend far too much time being depressed and grumpy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know having fun at, at your shows. That's what we did. We were the comic relief for a lot of serious people. And that ever since the very first start, we, we were kind of the excuse for the nerds to have kind of the same kind of party as the douchebags, you know? <laughs> yeah. so, so, and then I kind of felt bad about forcing the, how to put it, like more serious sides of what we like to do into the band. Because okay. they wasn't supposed to be that, you know? And and so, I mean sometimes you can do something pretty serious and then put it into Dead Rock, but when but, but when it becomes too sad, I don't think uh, you know you don't put you don't make a, a sad Seinfeld episode. You can make it like a dark episode of of Seinfeld, but don't make it sad. Okay, you know? I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then uh, when COVID came, it was like okay, Dead Rock can do whatever we want. Nothing good is going to come come out of it. Right. Like if we if we release something that's just amazing and blah blah blah, whatever happens. There's no reason to because you can't even play shows or anything. You can't do press. You can't meet journalists. Yeah. You can't get into a new collaboration with some amazing producer or musician or lyricist or artist or any because you're stuck at home, right? Right. Yes. Yeah, so I just thought, fuck it. Then I'll then I'll do all the stuff that I that I haven't done for these twenty years. That's how that stuff came about. So I mean, I'm completely lying when I said that I wrote all those songs during during COVID. I obviously didn't. I mean, listen to that stuff. Like, you don't make that up overnight, right? That's made, that's, that's all the stuff that I didn't <laughs> allow myself to put into Dade Rock. You know? Okay. So, I mean, most of the songs were not absolutely not finished. None of them are finished. But most of them is like ideas that I had been laying around for quite a long time, right? Yeah, because, and, and also, I mean, it goes without saying when I say the inspiration is, Sam Precop and Archer Pruitt, that obviously goes quite a few years back, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is almost like the best of all my sad ideas. <laughs> the best of the sad. <laughs> yeah, the best of the worst. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and it, I was so stressed out because, because when you kind of, when you're that honest and you, and you try your very, but with Dato, I never tried anything. I didn't give a fuck. I mean, you, you don't write far, far, far trying. <laughs> you just make something, you know? <laughs> Computer Camp Love is, I mean, the first verse is just a dialogue between Lewis and uh, and Booger right. in Revenge of the Lips, you know? Right. I mean, you don't make that trying to be a success, you know? Right. <laughs> that, that yeah, was that's just, a formula. That was, yeah, and, that, and that's a very nice way to protect yourself emotionally, right, from criticism. It's like, oh, this, these, these guys are idiots. Uh, they must be so dumb, and we hate them. Then you just go, <laughs> yeah, they hate us. But when yeah. you try your very best, it's like, oh no, oh no. I, and I try, I really tried hard to make a nice song, yeah. you know. And they hate it. It's very, it, it. Yeah, you, you really, you know, you put yourself out there. It's very, and yeah. it's embarrassing to try hard to make something nice. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I mean, I, I love listening to. Chet Baker, Gabriel Fouré, uh, you know, Scott Walker ballads. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm into very quiet, nice music. That's what I listen yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. I love the title, The Rona Diaries. That's a great, great title. It's the sense of humor is still coming through there. And mm-hmm. I, I love the the difference in your voice. Your vocal delivery is a little <laughs> different. I mean, you've got more of a Morrissey yeah. sound. Too. Yeah, yeah. 
which I, which I love. I love Morrissey. So, well, me too. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. 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 Me too. I mean, he's a, he's a conflicted person, but I yeah. do love him. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I do. And I mean, I, I like, I could probably sing along to the lyrics to all of the Smith's songs too. Oh yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. No, but, it, and that's also was an interesting trick because everybody has heard me shouting with Dead Rock. Right. Voice, right. So it's always shouting, shouting. And then, <laughs> Because I'm not shouting on this album, everybody's like, oh, you can sing. Yeah. It's not that I can sing so well. It's just that it sounds so much nicer than when I am shouting. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a change. <laughs> no, it is. And, and, and you see a lot of journalists become so, they're so surprised. But, but I've actually had a Chet Baker tribute band for 20 years. Like we only do like a show or two a year. Really? But I, I, I ever since we started Data Rock, I, at the same time as we started Data Rock, I started this, it's just some friends and we just do it for fun. But but I've been singing Chet Baker songs and I, and I you know, I try to emulate the way he actually sings them. And especially his, uh, his vocal repertoire from 1957. Okay. Right? So, so I've been singing like that. And that, and when you sing that's the same 20 songs for 20 years, then you, you, you sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, whole, that whole way of phrasing and that way of, you know, avoiding uh, a vibrato, vibrato. Is that how you pronounce it? Vibrato. Vibrato, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. What you're not supposed to and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then when you read something like uh, How Music Works by uh, David Byrne or, or, or just see that film, what is that TV series? by John Martin, it's called The Legends, not The Pioneers. Okay. And when you hear stuff like, the reason why uh, Joao Gilberto and Chad Baker could sing the way they did was because microphone technology enabled them to sing softly, yet be heard on a, on a rec recording, right? Oh, so th yeah. that's how they can get away with singing, embrace me, you know? Mm -hmm. So And also the effect of that was people shocked because it, it was like, the voice of a man pillow talking to you, you know. Yeah, whereas yeah. in the early, uh, uh, whereas on the, uh, in the earlier days, a person would have to shout just to cut through the the sound of the orchestra. Okay, that makes and that's sense. also how, yeah, and that's also what at least David Byrne says uh, in his book uh, how music works. He said that's how vibrato came about because the singer was standing in front, and they would have the orchestra at, at the back, right? But mm -hmm. still, the frequencies of the voice would disappear. Because, I mean, it's human voice, but it's still just frequencies. Right. So that's how they came up with the, ah, 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 because that, that cuts through the, through the, oh, anyway, wow. so, and, 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 and when you spend, you know, 20 years singing the same kind of songs, you, you know, you, you get an understanding of various ways of singing, not only shouting, but nobody knew this, right? Nobody, nobody knows that I've been singing quiet songs for 20 years, the same <laughs> songs, by the way, because, I mean, <laughs> but anyway, so. So, uh, and no, it was super nice to be able to do that. But I love playing, you know, all those standard mu uh, jazz songs from the late 50s are, are basically for musicals, you know? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much all of them are. And a lot of them are actually for musicals that are completely unfamiliar to people. Like My Funny Valentine and two or three other standard songs are from the same musical that nobody knows. Oh, okay. But, uh, including yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, and me, because I, I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, being able to sing stuff like, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what can I say? For instance, just the uh, cliche phrases like, uh, there was a moon out in space. 
uh, what the fuck are the lyrics? <laughs> but a cloud drifted over its face. And stuff like you kissed me and went on your way. The night we called it a day. So so you, you get like a lot of like rhymes and, and uh, you know, cliche phrasings right. under your skin. And oh. you really pull, you get away with it because, you, you know, you've done it for so long and la la la. But then. You have to do it with lyrics you're going to write yourself. Uh, yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. You know, so so kind of it was, a, again, I should be very careful about what I say, but it was kind of a lucky scenario to be able to, to use a mutual hard background. Like everybody can relate to the whole situation of the lockdown and, and all of that. So, right. so for me to sort of use that as a back curtain of the whole album was, was uh, this is, sounds awful, but very convenient. I don't know how to put it. <laughs> I I, you know? I understand what you're saying, though. It it makes sense. Yeah. So please rephrase what I'm trying to say because that <laughs> sounds awful. But <laughs> so I mean, uh, uh, what I sing about on the on uh, uh, on the album is, I mean, it's it's real, right? And it, it, and it was it was so different to what Derek has been doing, right? Oh, well, yeah. Derek has songs very similar. Like, like I wrote the song for the Red album called New Day's Dawn, mm-hmm. which I, I, I'm, I'm really proud of that song. The wind caught the seagull and chased it off the shore See how it trembles given in Enough. A boy let a cigarette while the girl closed the door. It's a kind of my tribute to Scott Walker ballads. That's awesome. Uh, you know, <laughs> but that's very similar to the stuff on my solo album. But um, but in that case, again, it was like um, very much in the same vein as the rest of Data Rock stuff. It's a tribute to someone. It's not personal. It's just yeah. that I can pull off something like that to blah, blah, blah. But no, it was me. And I play all the instruments myself. I produced myself with the help of uh, Daedalus drummer. Uh, it's recorded just in our home studio. And I'm so open to criticism. And I'm going to start crying if the journalists are terribly <laughs> awful to me. <laughs> you know, It's really, it was terrible. And then, no, and then I like it. You, oh, you do. Oh, yeah, thank I do. you. I th- the what if what blows me away, and it's this stretch it back into data rock too. Is your guitar playing has this Richard Lloyd uh, quality, like from television? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, well, main inspiration for the Fafafa fa and everything. Okay, because you know? so Fafafa, fa, the riffs, and both Fafafa fa and Catcher in the Rye is really paraphrasing Marky Moon. That's right? that's what I was gonna say. That that, that yeah. Catcher in the Rye has this total Marky Moon feel to it. I love oh, yeah. it. Oh yeah. How did the idea to do the solo album with a with a string quartet happen? Yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, between me and you and all your listeners, yeah. qu- quite a Both few of them. Of, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
good good one uh, no, <laughs> no at the uh, quite a few of the dead work songs i actually play everything so i even played drums on most, most of the songs so oh, wow, okay and because because dead work was you know it was very much a studio thing you know went to the studio uh cracked a few boxes of beer <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you know, like yeah it was like just you, you know some some cozy stuff you do in the studio and then and everybody's busy doing their things and that, not always there everybody can be there right so mm-hmm. anyways so so many times i've recorded something that someone else's else has had to emulate right okay. right yeah and uh that's totally fine but but at the same time i just thought i don't want i don't i don't want anyone else to have to try and emulate whatever i do not because I think it's amazing. It's just weird for because I'm not a skillful drummer or percussionist or keyboard player or bass player or anything. So why present it as I, I could I, I could play it on just my guitar, mm-hmm. right? I could do that, but I, I just thought how how interesting wouldn't it be to arrange these songs for a completely different kind of musicians who can who can add so much, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just doing my whatever I my limited imagination on the other instruments right okay so but in 2013 i i, I did i once did a a data work musical yeah i saw that that <laughs> was i read a little bit about that this that was just we had one day of rehearsals or something yeah yeah and we only had one performance but we recorded it yeah so so uh we still have quite a few copies uh of the, <laughs> the vinyl version <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I i saw a teaser of it. i thought it was amazing i, I want to hear that i gotta i got I'm yeah yeah no, I, I, okay I, I, i'll send you a link i'll yes. send you a link yeah no but the but the so yeah, the, by the way that was a hilarious story it was uh <laughs> It's this, uh, it was this festival in Norway who were really good friends of us. It was kind of the first festival that took us really, really serious with Data Rocks. We kind of became the house band okay. for like 11 years or so. And this is a oh, sister wow. festival for Sonar Festival in Barcelona, right? Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, so it's, it's a sister festival of all those like super cool, interesting, experimental wasn't festivals the, uh, for art. It wasn't the festival in Tonsberg, was it? No, no, okay. no, very different. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, but, and, and then they said, hey, uh, I think they forgot to program the main hall. I think they just basically just forgot to program it because they because they called me and they said, um, "Hey, uh, we have an agreement with the symphony orchestra and the main hall. Do you want to do something with them?" And this was like two months before, <laughs> right? And I was like, "Yeah, hmm." And I thought, "Sure, if I can do a musical." By some reason, that's what I said. <laughs> and, and they and they were like. Okay, I don't think they wanted me to, but they said <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then in in the, in two months, we wrote and arranged sixty minutes of orchestrated music with an eighty-seven piece orchestra. Oh <laughs> <laughs> we had amazing. one day of rehearsals. One day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like we have footage of ourselves sitting like. The, the day of the performance, like, we don't remember these lyrics. Oh, <laughs> like, this is good, <laughs> and what does this shit mean anyway? And what is the story? Because there wasn't like, like really any good story there. <laughs> no, it's so funny. Anyways, the guy, the guy who helped me do the arrangements, he, he became a friend because he was such a cool guy. And then he ended up doing like tons of orchestral arrangements and choir arrangements and all sorts of stuff with us. So I asked him if he wanted to 
to do some orchestral arrangements. And then, do, like, do you know the band Turbo Negro? In oh, yeah. Norway? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so the, the main kind of the main guy is Happy Tom, the bass player. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and he, he's a very important uh, journalist in Norway. Like, oh, okay. he's, no, yeah, well, he's an amazing guy. And, and he had this amazing um, debate, kind of debate forum program in Norway. And, and oh, he once okay. asked me if I, if, if they were going to do Carly Simon's uh, You're So Vain. Oh, cool. And then, uh, give me a second. Yeah. Um, like that. Um, and then, and then he said, we want to do that. And I said, I, I really don't. <laughs> 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 and then, <laughs> but again, I, with my Tourette's like response to things, <laughs> I said, I said, but I'll do it if I can bring. And I just said, a violin, a viola, a cello, and a harp. I don't know why I said it. And then he said, well, sure. Just like with the musical, right? Yeah. Oh and then he said, yeah, sure. And then, and then I got that. that I, I, and I'll send you the video for that, too. Okay. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. If you just Google Dead Rock and You're So Vain. You had one eye in the mirror. You watched yourself go out. And all the girls dreamed that they'd be your partner. They'd be your partner. You're so vain. I bet you think the song is about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the song is about you. Don't you? Don't you? Anyway, so, so and that was... That was just something that I pulled out of my posterior. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but it but it, it was so weird because I, I I've never heard anyone sing with a violin, viola, cello, and harp, but it just worked so well that that's what I wanted to do. I don't know why I just loved it. So, and that's the whole idea. That's what I wanted to do with. And I didn't know any of these musicians that play on my live version. By the way, I never met any of them okay. before. Wow. So. so but I just had this idea that that would be amazing because because the, the the most kind of rhythmical patterns would be in my rhythm guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Because surely the violin wouldn't be that, and it wouldn't be the viola, cello, to a certain extent, obviously the harp. Yeah. But that could just be like, and that's a very subtle rhythm part, right? So yeah. so then we could just skip the drums and the, all the percussive stuff and just let the songs be what they are, which is. All of the songs are really just guitar songs, just guitar and vocals. That's yeah. that's how the, all those songs were made, right? And then, anyways, and then I was I I asked my booking agent to contact the biggest art music festival in the Nordic countries to lie, or I lied to him. Perhaps he lied. <laughs> I lied. Everybody lied. And then <laughs> I just lied and said, "Oh, the new album is coming out, and the solo album is coming out in in May, and you want to book it?" He has arrangements for an orchestra, and they booked it. Oh. To the main hall of the oh. festival. Oh my god! I was pissing my pants. It was like fuck. <laughs> the first time I'm gonna, and this was the first time I had played any of these songs, right? Oh my god! And 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 I also realized that it was so expensive, everything that I would be losing quite a lot by doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so so, anyways, but then I, I I I very well I knew very well the artistic director of BIT Twenty which is basically the National Ensemble of Art Music, Contemporary Art Music. Okay. Because he had actually been the conductor of the symphony orchestra for Dead Rock's musical. Oh, okay. 
And he was he, he was also a student at the same music high school at the same time as me, but he was two years older. Anyways, so I, I talked to him. Do you have some suggestions of which musicians to, to perform with? And he suggested some four random musicians from the Symphony Orchestra of Bergen who happens, happened to also be part of the Bit 20 Ensemble, which he he's the head of, right? Okay. And then uh, this is kind of like in, not very interesting to most people, I'm assuming. It's kind of bureaucratical, I guess. But then the, the, the heads of this ensemble came to me and they said, hey, wait a minute, but all those musicians are actually from Bit 20. Why didn't you talk to us? And I'm like, but Mats uh, uh, is the head of the company and he sort of told me to talk to these guys. So what, what is the problem? Yeah. Like, are you upset? <laughs> And and then he said, no, yes, because we want to officially be part of this. Oh. <laughs> so 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 it went for me, the, you know, very last minute getting all of this arranged for that particular kind of lineup to getting these four amazing musicians on board to those becoming representatives of Bit20 Ensemble. Okay. It was, it, it, wow. Kind of like that. That's how it went. Anyways, and then I'd never met any of them. And I mean, these guys, like the the, the, the violin player, uh, he's from um, the US. Uh, the viola player is from uh, Latvia. The cello player was born in, in, in Russia. Oh my God. And, the cello, and the harp player was from, from, from Norway. Anyways, wow. I'd never met any of these. And all of these people obviously have personalities, different like energy, mm-hmm. different understanding of tempo. Is the phrase supposed to be on a little bit? bit behind or in front you know okay so it's not a matter of just going through the songs you have to make a million decisions in rehearsals okay wow you know i didn't realize that. and that's no you do and then and we did tons and tons of major changes and even the arrangers arranger flew in from oslo and went through the songs so, so on the sound check we did you know pretty serious changes to the arrangements we're talking 20 songs is what we performed wow and it was crazy and i, I remember during sound check i drank 10 glasses of water i was just sweating <laughs> it was terrible and i was so dumb because i just thought i'm spending so much money on this this is probably the last the first only and last time i'm going to perform this <laughs> so i better record it right and and, and yeah, and coincidentally, Queen, Kings of Convenience's uh, sound engineer was doing the sound there. So we made an agreement for me to get the footage for the street because it was a sold out show. Oh, man. And, it's, and for the first time ever, I'm performing these songs. For the first time in ages, I'm playing for a substantial number of people, you know, <laughs> and it's streamed internationally and we're recording it for film and a, rec- a, a record oh, so God. all reasons to be stressed out right right yeah and then uh, yeah and then i mean i'd never sung those lyrics before and then you have to play those weird pretty complicated things right and then we don't even know who's starting the song like who's counting us in oh, like because wow. there wasn't a conductor there nobody to sort of be the dominant tempo master right oh my God. it's like so we so for every song is that like, we're looking at each other like Who's, who's who? Who kicks us off? Like, and 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 mind you, we're not even facing each other because that's what I wanted to do. But the cameraman said we couldn't, so we had to stand looking at the. Audience. We didn't even see each other. Right? Oh my it's god! Crazy. That's crazy. And then, and, yeah, and then we heard the recordings and like, fuck, this is this is insane. Like, it sounds so rehearsed. Yeah.
You know, really good. Yeah, no, it's it's insane. It's it's really, but it's because those guys are so masterful at what they do, right? Yeah. And then we got the Mark Rankin to to mix it, and it just it's bewildering how well it turned out. It, it, we the rehearsals we had was two rehearsals, and those two rehearsals were two hours each. And that's twenty songs. Wow! Oh my! <laughs> what was, what but, it's amazing it, to me is that. So some of the songs, you know, they sound like orchestral arrangements of the original track, like I'm a rock, but others are completely transformed like Feather in the Cat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you something song. funny. I'll tell you something funny because you can hear how Feather in the Cap, how, how that kind of, that's uh, one of the most more challenging uh, uh, um, uh, arrangements, right? I'm sure. It and he like wrote it. that. Yeah, he wrote that the day I called him and said, hey, I got the musicians. They're all from BIT 20. Yeah. And he, he knows how good they are and what they can do. And he was like, contemporary art music. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, we actually had to take out some elements because it was just so sick, noisy. But uh, oh yeah, that. <laughs> but I mean, that song is uh, it, it. Yeah, even on the original, it's kind of noisy. But this, but this, but I loved it. I think I, personally, I prefer his or the live versions to all the studio versions. <laughs> <laughs> well, the album. I just loved it. The album is twenty-eight minutes long. Where is what about the rest of the songs? Are, you, are, you, are they going to stay unreleased or maybe there are plans to put them out at some point? Damn, I never thought about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll be honest. Like some, some of the songs were, were me alone. Okay. And I, I, I just found that very, not very interesting. And then okay. some of the songs were data rock songs, which are kind of similar to this. Right, right. Yeah, sure. We should. We should release that too. It can be like because I'm, I'm releasing this material on a 12-inch vinyl now, and this is really interesting. I figured out a way to put the entire album on one side of a vinyl, so it's a 28-hour side. Oh, <laughs> 28 minutes. I'm, I'm like, 28 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it sounds amazing. It's made by a guy called Mike Mike Marsh, who's done like everything for everything from. Uh, oh, let me think. Uh, well, Depeche Mode and ever since the beginning of Depeche Mode, oh, I guess. Okay. But he did Prodigy and, and you know, Calvin Harris and all sorts of stuff. But he also did like Primal Scream and I don't know what. He, he, he's a British mastering engineer. Okay. But he also cuts vinyl, right? And he, and he cuts lacquers. And, and oh, we wow. talked about it and, it. and he knew that because it's not the deep end in like Prodigy and stuff like mm -hmm. Chemical Brothers or whatever. Because you don't you you don't have a sub bass or you know you don't yeah. have club music. Right. Then it's like it should be fine. The only thing is that because you know the reels in a, in a vinyl, it's about depth. There's a correlation between depth and volume. 
So the only big difference is that the volume is lower, right? But anyway, so so what we did is I'm releasing a double album on one e- on one vinyl. So it's the entire live <laughs> it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the entire live album on one side and then on the other side is the entire studio album because that's also only 29 minutes oh, or that, 28 or whatever that is really cool <laughs> yeah that is so, then, awesome. so i guess uh, it, you know it won't fit a bonus material but perhaps we could one day yeah do some bonus stuff yeah, the dead, the, actually, the Dead Rock songs, like, actually, particularly and Catcher in the Rye worked really, really well. And I think Laugh in the Face of Darkness worked really well. But, um, yeah, those would be, re- I'd like to hear those. That'd be interesting. I got them. Yeah. I might, I might send them to you. <laughs> I'd take them. I'll listen to them. I won't put them on the well, podcast. Okay. <laughs> Unless you I want me to. About it. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, no, but it, you know, I have this, I don't know if I came up with this myself or, if I read it somewhere, but I, I like to optimize the opportunities for luck. You know, it's like, like this whole thing is just a, you know, it's a, I'm so happy with it. I'm so proud of it because not for myself, but for being able to collaborate with these people and kind of my, like, for instance, they complimented me on my guitar playing and I was so touched and moved and so oh. proud, you know, yeah. you know, and, you know, it really made me feel like, just just being able to be you know kind of accepted by that crowd of or those those four guys was just like i was so i was like i now i just want to stop doing music i'm so proud now <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you reached the pinnacle you're done go out on a high note yeah and 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 it's like this probably comes out i shouldn't say this either but kind of <laughs> but, anyone can end up playing in front of 80,000 people kind of anyone you just have to do something really really dumb kind of <laughs> Or, 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 or work with someone who can put you in that situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, you, it's, it doesn't, I don't know. Oh, this, this is, that was awful. Perhaps we have to erase it. I have to try again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to put it. But, but I mean, like if you, if you manage to build a kind of momentum, a media, media momentum, and, th- and that, that momentum might come from so many reasons, right? But, but being able to sort of work with these people who treat music as a timeless matter, mm-hmm. where the way they accept or reject what you write is based on, you know, a deep, 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 severe knowledge about music throughout 500 years. Right. And, and they would, I, I would hope that they wouldn't compliment on something that they didn't appreciate, you know? Exactly. So, and when these people are, you know, happy with your level of skill, that means something different than that you know being able to rip off uh already established uh, beat pattern for whatever house song whatever you want to say you know because it so anyway so anyways in my value set that means so much more and like i i, I last week i got this uh review in uncut magazine and mm-hmm. it got eight out of ten. Oh, nice and i was like yeah i was almost crying and, and i was like i just want to I want to get rid of all of my music equipment right now because you know this is too much. Yeah, you know you can only go. You can't go too much farther up than that. No, no, and also, and, and also, like I mean, this is definitely not something where, that I expect a lot of people to listen to. Oh, I, but okay. I don't get. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, it's it's about having spent so much time listening to everything from you know Bach to Gabriel Fauré to. The Amanda Galas to, mm. 
you know, Norwegian black metal. And, and somewhere in the middle of all of this, there's get rid of production, press shots, a fun logo, the correct PR system, blah, blah, blah. And you're back to, you know, the beautiful mathematics and poetry of music, Yeah, you know? And if I had, if I even grasped that something, you know, somewhat okay quality within that kind of realm of magic, I'm fulfilled, you know? Yeah, I understand. You know it. what I mean? I understand it, yeah. Yeah? I do. So that's what this is. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, so that's why I had to release it because I was so, I was so proud. Yeah. <laughs> These guys wanted to play with me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I get the same feeling with when I get a compliment on a, on some of my photography or somebody says they yeah. enjoyed being on the podcast. So I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, by the way, I really enjoy being on your pod- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I don't have to record anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, this is really, it's, you know, I have to say that this is not about becoming an adult or old or anything. I always felt like this. I always did, you know? Yeah. So like when you're a child, when you try to do a little riff that uh, you're like, oh, I'm so proud. It's about kind of trying to master that, just that, you know, notes and phrasings and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a terrible thing that we have to have an income when we're adults. Yeah. Because, because as soon as music becomes your livelihood, you have to start making those choices that can sustain a living. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. not, not only for you, it's for the management, the record company. And I mean, you, you end up loving everybody you work with. Right. So suddenly you start saying yes to live shows that you don't want to do, but you don't want to, you know, not to make sure that everybody around you can pay the goddamn rent. You know? Which leads to a thousand shows in 36 countries. Hey, man, do, do you have the show called Paradise Hotel? It, that sounds that? familiar. I, I, I haven't seen it, but it sounds familiar. Yeah, okay. It's a kind of show where you put 20, you know, um, uh, fit dumbasses on, a, on an island so oh, they can screw yeah. each other and, and mispronounce words. You right, know? yeah. We have plenty and, of those over here. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I remember one day Dedeo was playing a show and the entire cast of that show was in front of the stage. And they completely related to us and they invited us to a party. And I was this close to just there and then committing suicide. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And what happened? I don't know. All of a sudden you just looked like the phone dropped. What am I doing? How do I do this? Okay. Oh, you're back. Did I disappear? I'm back? You're back. Okay, no, but but then you start doing stuff like that, and then you, you know, um, I don't, I can't remember any synchronizations that we weren't okay with. I thought pretty much everything was pretty cool, but as soon as music becomes really something you depend on completely, then I mean, then you start having to, you get into a mind frame where um, you start second guessing yourself and and your art. Yeah, but you also become a business person, yeah. right? Well, yeah, because everything you you're making has consequences now. Yeah. And you don't want to, but it's irresponsible not to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And then, okay, you can pretend that we, sh- we, we shouldn't have done this or I, don't, I didn't want to do it. But then it's like, but you don't have any other income. I didn't do it because I wanted to. Yep. I did it because we had to kind of. But the question is, did you really have to? No, you didn't. You could just uh, try and make an income on something where you're not a sellout. And then you can try to do music true and honestly. And in my case, that was very difficult for me to make that choice. Kind of the lockdown just made it for me. You know? Well, yeah. 
I love the the solo album. I love the string quartet album. I think that's just fascinating stuff. I've been listening to it constantly for the past several days, and it's just oh it's, damn, thank you. And I really enjoyed going back and listening to the Data Rock stuff. It's really cool yeah. because it it comes across as, as a computer rock, but it's not. I, I I definitely can hear that it developed out of guitar demos and and just more analog oh, yeah. stuff than yeah. computer driven stuff. So it's I really enjoyed going back and revisiting everything it's been wonderful wow thank you okay I'm, I, you're too kind i'm not gonna have to send you all, all of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> well before we get going what are the social media accounts how can people buy the album how can they follow you on social media and find out what you and data rock are up to okay so so uh, you know I'm so bad with social media because, and it's partly because they don't, we have tracksuits, we, we we have different personalities kind of in the band and in real life. In real life, as you can see, I have a normal job. I have two kids and a wife and I'm a totally no, normal person. But in Data Rock, we're like, we're the funny guys, right? Right. It's, it's been so hard to sort of keep track with the whole goddamn, you know, <laughs> self, uh, uh, putting yourself out there, social media world. So, so I don't even know where you can find us. Okay. So data, we're on Instagram. We do, ha- we do have a Facebook, which is a medium I never work. I use never ever. Okay. So it's really bad, but you'll find us there. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're available on, on every streaming service. And as far as I know, we told the distributor, just put, make us available wherever. Just, uh, you know, please. Cool. So really, I don't know. I, we're everywhere. Uh, we, well, we do have a Twitter and we post something like every third year. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I get it. But, 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 but one of the, and actually we have a very interesting homepage. That's really funny. Cause we made, we made it for the 15 year anniversary. Like if you ever have like three hours to read an online article, <laughs> <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> you should go to datarockmusic.com as that is pretty funny. Okay. No, anyway, so, so, but, but what we decided to do is just, you know, get our act together just a little bit. And I just love uh, what Bandcamp does. Yeah. Like, how it, it really connects us. Like, it kind of a little bit like MySpace was in the old days, you know? Okay. Yeah. A little bit. So, so anyway, so, so uh, within a couple of weeks at least, you'll be able to uh, access everything and us through Bandcamp. So, there will be a Data Rock Bandcamp. There will also be a Frederick Soroya Bandcamp. Awesome. And our music is tr- distributed uh, in America through uh, Red Eye. So it'll be, it, it's, it's available everywhere, I guess. I don't know. That, hey, that, I, that works. I don't know. And I'm sure your your social media links are on the website. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they yeah. can go there and check that out. So Yeah, like just the thing is with Data Rock, so many people took that name. Like actually a ton of companies from mining data uh, to hard drive producers. Like there was even a goddamn German hard drive producer who used my hand painted logo as their official logo. Oh my, <laughs> how do they think they're gonna get away with that? That's insane. I thought it was really funny because I, I assumed it was a startup that would go bankrupt soon anyways. <laughs> but I, so I didn't want to bother them. Right. But then I crossed my fingers and hoped for them to be successful so I could sue them. Exactly. But then I forgot. I totally forgot. Perhaps I should. <laughs> I'm glad I reminded no, you about the, this. No, but but uh, but uh, so so if you want to search for Data Rock, I mean we have a YouTube channel and all of that where, mm-hmm. where you find, by the way, some very very funny animations that I did. Oh, uh, cool. Partly 
some of them based on an interview that uh, Nordwar did with me many years ago. Okay. Really funny. But anyway, so so we have a YouTube channel. But if you search for Data Rock, because so many people took that name, I think it might be wise to search for Data Rock official. Okay. That so it, usually I think it's like everything is like Data Rock underscore official. Okay. For whatever reason. And then my name is Frederick, but it's spelled without the C. And it's no E after the D. So it's F R E D R I K. Fred. A R O A. Fred. So Frederick. Yeah. Which screws up my ability to connect with people because nobody finds me because it's always misspelled. (laughs) So that's why a name like Dayrock, you know, was very, proved very practical in the beginning. Everybody remembered it. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Frederick Soroya and Dayrock Official. Yeah. Oh, perfect. No, but hey, hey, I really had a great time. I like, appreciate it was that. Super, it was super nice talking to you. It really was. You too, man. I really had a blast. It was, it was hilarious. And I, I really love shows like this. This is wonderful. Look at me. Look at you. Who's the first one to smile? Better luck next summer again. And I said, look at me. Look at you. Who's the first one to cry? Better luck next summer again And I said I will never ever forget you Let you slip out of my head Not till I'm dead Happy or sad It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.